Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. He is worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy of our whole life. Paul writes and he encourages and says, uh, would you present your lives a living sacrifice? He's worthy of every part of us. Peyton, I think you got a few things for us. If, uh, if you didn't receive one of these, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper here in communion. And if you need a, um, a chalice, um, they're just plastic, sorry. Just raise your hand and we'll make sure you get one. Um, for some of you, maybe this is the first time or first time in a while that you have participated in communion. For others of us, um, we have partaken a lot of times. And I just want to encourage you as we come to this moment in this time, we've just saying about, is he worthy? Is he worthy of our praise? Is he worthy of our life? Yes. Peyton, we got a few up here. Thank you. And the truth is, we don't, we don't really have anything to offer God that he doesn't already have. God isn't in need of my, my giving of him. He doesn't need me to do all the right decisions so that the plan happens just right. God is sovereign and he is in control of all things. He is the one who has given us the opportunity and the way to have a relationship with him. And as we stop and we pause, um, communion is an opportunity for us to commune with one another. We come together as the body of Christ coming to communion with our Savior, coming to remember the greatest thing that could ever be done for any of us. I've had a lot of nice things done for me, probably the best was my wife said yes, not just to the ring, but she actually stood up in front of people and said, yeah, I'll put up with that guy for the rest of his life. That was nice. It's a great gift. My three children are a great gift. You are a great gift to me. There is nothing greater that I have, though than the Lord Jesus Christ. God desires for us to honor him and to live our lives for him. One of the great blessings of communing with him, and we're going to see this in Daniel 10 in just a little bit. We fall short of the glory of God. And even when we trust Christ as our Savior, we still abandon him in times. We still sin. We still neglect the things that he desires for us to do and to say, to believe. He desires for us to live a certain way for his honor, for his glory, so that people may see his goodness through us. It's for our benefit, too. We receive his blessing through that. But as we think this morning, 
before we come and commune with him, how for any reason could we think that we could commune with the holy God without first turning from our sin, of confessing it and repenting and turning from it? First John, John writes uh, to the believers. And when he says about confession, it isn't about that first confession of accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's actually talking to believers and encouraging them to get their lives and their hearts right. Don't think that you haven't sinned. You call yourself a liar then. And he says, confess your sin. Name it by its name. Call it out. Knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us, to make us clean, to make us right of all of our unrighteousness, of all of our sin. Just to put it in perspective, Old Testament writer tells us that our good works are like what? Filthy rags. So our good stuff is trash to God. So what can we bring to him? Just our hearts. And if our hearts aren't right, he allows us to make that decision and to choose to confess it and to make it right. And he's the one that makes it right then. So I encourage you in just the next moment here, would you take a minute? Would you examine your heart, examine your life? And if there's sin in it, be quick, quick right now to confess it before God. God already knows it. He knows all about it. And he loves you. And he desires for you to be right with him before we come and commune with him. So would you take just a few moments, bow your head, and talk to the Lord Jesus. truly is a joy, Lord, to be able to trust in Jesus. Lord, thank you that because of Jesus' death on the cross, for the shedding of his blood, because of the sacrifice that he made, we've been set free from the bondage of sin. And I can't help but to think that there are some sitting here today who are still caught in the mire and the web, who still have the baggage of sin holding on to them. 
But as your children, they don't have to continue in that. They don't have to be strapped to it. You've given us the victory over sin. You've conquered sin and death when Jesus rose from the dead. Thank you that you love us enough that you didn't just give us a way to heaven. You gave us a relationship, a way to have an re eternal relationship with you, Lord. And so now we come participating in what you've commanded us to do. To commune. To remember. To reflect. To examine our own hearts and our own lives. But to also to see the glorious gift that you've given us. Salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. So we invite you, Jesus, would you be our guest at this table as we participate together? May you be glorified. We pray this in his name, Jesus. Amen. Paul writes, as the early church was gathered and coming together, he writes about how he had received from the Lord what he had delivered to you and Paul says that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we participate eating this bread that represents the broken body of our Savior, Jesus. Paul then writes and records in the same way. He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we participate. Drinking of this juice, it's not really the blood of Jesus, but it represents the blood of Jesus. And so we drink the new covenant, the forgiveness of our sin. And then Paul puts this, this sentence after. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come soon. We pray not for our will to be done, but for your will to be done. And we pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles and you're able, willing would you turn with me to the book of Daniel as we continue our series and our study here called Joyful Journey, which is quite different than what we'll see here in the text this morning. Um, it's not, I wouldn't classify as joyful. Uh, it's quite uh, different. It's in opposition. Daniel is actually mourning uh, as we'll read through chapter 10, but it is a joyous journey because ultimately, chapter 10 isn't the end, all right? Chapter 10 is part of the whole book. And so when we get to chapter 12 and the end, we see the glorious end of everything. And we'll get to see what that looks like. As has been our custom, if you're new here, I'll read through the text and uh, read through the whole chapter. And then we'll kind of walk through it. Um, my wife and Zach are, are back in children's church today. Uh, so we were talking yesterday and we were going somewhere and Zach said, uh, Dad, how long are you preaching tomorrow? 
And I said, I don't know. I think it should be a little short. And Lisa said, well, I have children's church. And Marissa said, well, I have nursery. And Zach's like, dad, you can preach as long as you want because I'll be in children's church. I don't expect this to be long today as I don't in any, uh, but I do want to let you know um, next week I am changing a little bit. There's no possible way I can get through chapter 11 in one week. And so I'm going to break it up into two weeks. So for those of you who are really disappointed, I'm sorry to let you down. I really wanted to do one chapter per week, um, but we're going to split chapter 11 up into two weeks. But you can read the whole chapter throughout the week so that you're prepared and you're ready for it. If you are able and you're willing, would you stand with me and let's read. You follow along. I'll be reading from uh, the ESV, Daniel chapter 10. It'll also be up on the screen, I, w I believe, yes. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the first three weeks. Or on the, yes, anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl and his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of a burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant Radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sounds of his the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and have humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of children of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and I spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O Lord, by reason of the vision pains uh, have come upon me, I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. 
Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And he spoke to, as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So when I was first looking at this passage, I, I tried to listen to it. And so uh, I was walking a trail and I was listening to it and I listened to it again and I listened to it again and I listened to it again and I'm like, because I try to, and I would encourage you to do this as you're studying the word, don't run right away to the commentaries, let God's word speak to you first. And so I'm listening to this. I'm like, Lord, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what is this all about? And so uh, I, I want to tell you today um, humbly as your pastor, this has become alive to me. Daniel is such an awesome book. And when we take time to spend time in his word, I love the song that we said, I will wait, I will wait, I will wait upon what? Your word, that God would speak to us. I will wait for you. I believe that today, as we look at this passage, my prayer is that God will speak to you through his word. It's a great text, and I think there's a great encouragement for us as we think about this. Let's begin as we normally do. We see the beginning of this chapter, as has been any chapter thus far in the book of Daniel. It begins with a setting and kind of a, a, a beginning introduction that says, okay, here's the time, here's the place, this is what's going on. And Daniel tells us this is the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. What, we, what we've discussed and we've talked a little bit about is uh, Darius and Cyrus, are these the same people or are these different? I'm, you have to dig in, okay? I'm not going to give you all the answers to the test here today. I'm going to encourage you to dig into the word, do some study on your own. I do believe that they are two different people. I believe at this time, um, Daniel is acknowledging who the king of Persia is. Remember, Persia is the... The big picture of, of the country now that has overtaken the Medes. Remember the Medes came in and took over the handwriting on the wall of what we saw earlier in the book. And now Daniel is acknowledging, even though Darius is still there, that Cyrus, he is in charge of all of Persia. Which gets into the picture that Daniel wants to help paint for his readers. All right, This is the third year of the reign of Cyrus. Uh, we see this is uh, acknowledged back in Cyrus, is talked about in chapter 6, verse 28. We also see Cyrus mentioned in, in Ezra. In Ezra 1, and it's critical important because of where we're going, in Ezra 1, 1, Ezra records that who? The, the king of Persia, Cyrus, gives the command for the rebuilding of the temple. The Jews who have been scattered abroad... Uh, are now allowed to go back to Jerusalem and have been given permission to build the temple. All right. And this is the third year of Cyrus. 
So roughly, this would put us in 536 B.C. Daniel is roughly 85 years old at this point. All right, And it's probably, my guesstimation, is this is after the lion's den, but not long after. Some scholars will say it may be even before uh, the lion's den, um, but that helps you put in perspective. Sometimes, again, we think of Daniel, he's just one of these young kids that gets thrown in the lion's den. No, he's in his 80s when he gets thrown in the lion's den, and the context of what we're going to see in Daniel 10, 11, and 12 because they're all going to tie in together, is this is around the context of Daniel being thrown in the lion's den, defending his faith, standing up for his God, not backing down or backing away. As I've sh shared, uh, 536 BC, this is roughly two years after the events that we looked at in Daniel chapter 9. Um, the Jews have returned back to Jerusalem, Ezra 1 1. And, uh, and we see, um, as Daniel records here for us, um, it says here in, in verse 1, the word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Why would Daniel record that again? We know who Daniel is. I believe, because of what is to come, Daniel wanted to make it very clear who was recording this. All right, We read it from our North America mindset. The, the Jews who are reading this, who are un, going to now uncover and read chapters 11 and 12, and even what he says here in chapter 10, he wants his readers and hearers to understand who is writing this. This is the same Daniel that we saw back in Daniel chapter 1 that was recording. This is the same Daniel is, that is going to write what we're going to look at here. And so I believe that he's trying to clarify for his readers, this isn't just a different Daniel. This isn't just a different guy. Maybe it's a different guy by a different name. He's named Daniel, but it's Daniel Jones and not Daniel Smith. And no, he's saying, listen, Daniel, the one who's called Belteshazzar, the same dude that's recorded all this for you, I'm recording this. This is what's happening. And so we see this, uh, this section of the book who has been writing this almost takes us back. It's almost a reference back to chapter 1 and verse 21 when he gives a summary. The end of verse, chapter 1, He remember, he gives us a summary of his time in his ruling and his uh, authority and how God had used him. And so it's almost like he's going back to chapter 1, verse 21, when he mentions that he was still in authority during Cyrus's time. Now, we see here the word was true, and it was a great conflict. One of the things in digging and, and recording, what is to come is of great conflict. Not necessarily this chapter, uh, but Daniel chapter 11 has been debated, and it's been a source of great conflict through many years. And I believe that as Daniel recorded this, he not only was talking about that, but that there was a great war that was taking place. And let me share it in this way. Literally, so our says, it says the word was true, uh, meaning what's coming is hard. And I want you to know I didn't make this up. This is true. And so what's coming is hard. And it was a great conflict. 
That word conflict in Hebrew means war or army or warfare or service. In the Hebrew, that phrase, that sentence literally says it this way. And true the words and a war great. Now we don't talk like that, but you think about that and what emphasis Daniel was trying to help the people to see as they heard that. And true the word and a war great. So what's the war? What's the truth that he's going to reveal? And that's what we're going to look at. He ex ex expressing the conflict of what is to come in chapter 11 and 12. But I believe he's also expressing a conflict of what we're going to see here in this chapter. And it's a conflict of heavenly conflict of angels and demons. Now, when you read through chapter 10 and you heard it the first time, maybe today was the first time or you read through it before, how many of you would honestly, and you don't have to put your hands up, but would say, hey, this is, a, this is about angels and demons. I didn't. I'm looking at it and saying, okay, this is cool. Like, yeah, there's an angel there. Yeah, the angel appears to Daniel, but I didn't get that out of that. Well, we're going to walk through this. We're going to jog through this. At points, we'll even sprint because you don't want to be here all day. Um, there is a team in orange and brown that we're hoping wins. But um, we're looking at this, and, and, and Daniel is saying, hey, I want you to know that what I'm recording is true, and, it, and there, there's conflict. It's not easy, which then leads into the next verse, verse number two. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. That word mourning is a continual. It's not just one event. It was a continual mourning. We see that same term used in Nehemiah when Nehemiah is viewing the rubbles of the wall around his city. Nehemiah is in that mourning. That same term here we see Daniel uses for his mourning. What's Daniel mourning? Well, the good part is Cyrus gave the proclamation for the Jews to return back to their land. So they went back and they were rebuilding the temple. But we also record what's recorded for us in Ezra uh, helps us to see that there is conflict going on in Jerusalem. So as the temple starts to be rebuilt, there's adversaries that are raising an opposition to what is taking place. I can't help but to think that's part of the mourning that Daniel is walking through. Daniel has been praying that God would send back and that he would rebuild the temple. Remember, we've talked about that in chapter 9. And Daniel's desire, Lord, would you allow us on this hill to worship you again? Well, that's taken place. That's happened. That, that proclamation has taken place. But now the temple work can't be finished because there's adversaries who have risen to oppose that. So Daniel's mourning and he's praying and he's asking God for an answer of what is to come. So we see in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. This is what Daniel did. He went on a fast, all right? And he says, hey, I didn't eat any delicacies, meaning he didn't eat meat and he didn't drink any wine, all right? And it says he didn't anoint himself. You know what he didn't put on for three weeks? Deodorant. Roughly, that's what he's doing. He's like, I'm not cleaning myself up. I'm, I am mourning. Maybe he had bread and water. 
He said, I'm not going to participate in eating a great feast right now. My heart hurts. And so it gives us that description. It says, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. First of all, the Tigris didn't run through Babylon where Daniel is. Some may say, well, how come Daniel was in Babylon when Israel was allowed to go back? Remember Daniel's age. How old is Daniel? He's roughly 85 years old, 83 when that proclamation is sent. It could be part of his age, or he may have felt called to still be there to serve in that capacity that God had him with the Babylonian government and to have that influence. But while he's there, he says, hey, I was out on the side of the bank of the river. And we would think, oh, that's Euphrates because the Euphrates runs right through Babylon. No, it's not. And he helps us to understand this is the Tigris. We don't know where at on the Tigris that he was, but we know that he was there on the bank of it. Now, it could have been easily 20 miles. That was the closest that he could have come. He may have been out for work, may have been sent to delegate as a delegation to, to do something, to meet with people. Now, or he could have been hundreds of miles uh, as the Tigris winds around. All we know is that he was desiring for the welfare, the welfare of Israel, and he's out amongst the banks of the Tigris and, and where he is. And so he's in these days, uh, it says the 24th day of the first month. What's interesting here is this gives us an exact date, all right? So if you do a little study and a little research, that's April 23rd, 526 BC. It's at an exact date. So when people argue and say, oh, the Bible's just made up of different things and there's nothing. No, there's actually, Daniel is recording saying, listen, I remember the day when this took place. It was that important. It was that monumental in Daniel's walk with the Lord. He says, I remember the place. I know where I was. I was in the bank of the, the Tigris and I remember the exact date. So he gives that to us, and that would have been important to help confirm that what he was writing was true. It wasn't just something made up. It wasn't something that somebody recorded years later and then declared and said, oh, look at this prophecy, even though they had written it after things took place. No, Daniel's recording it before it takes place, and he's saying, listen, this is the time that this happened. Verse 5, I lifted up my eyes and I looked and behold a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl and his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. I believe, again, you do your research, don't take don't take my word for it, okay? Do some study, do some research. I believe this is the, the, the before Jesus comes, all right? And what we call that is we call that a Christophany, the pre-incarnate Christ. Before he comes in bodily form as a baby that we read about in the New Testament, I believe and that there are other passages of Old Testament scripture where we see Jesus, I already told you about how I think Jesus was in with, uh, with Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace. That's why they weren't in a hurry to leave. I think they were in there with Jesus. All right. And, uh, and, and then finally, the, the king had to call him out. 
And uh, I believe this is Jesus. And I believe what we're going to see here in just a little bit is not the same people. And so as we read this text, it's important for us. You say, well, pastor, how did you come to that understanding that this is Jesus? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Um, I, I believe that we saw Jesus um, in Daniel 3 and Daniel 7, 13. And I think we, I believe that we also see him here in Daniel 10, 5 through 6 because of this. Because we read in Ezekiel 1, 26 and 28. Uh, and also we read in Revelation 1, 12 through 16. These descriptions of Jesus are so similar, it's hard to dispute them. And so the same description that John gives of Jesus in Revelation 1, I believe is so closely tied to what we see here in Daniel. How would you argue that? It's hard to argue against that. That's my belief. I believe that Jesus didn't just begin in Bethlehem. Jesus was from the beginning. That's where you can say amen if you agree. John 1.1 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, right? The word, Jesus, didn't just appear in Bethlehem. This is critical and important because also, not only because of those two other texts that I told you, Ezekiel and Revelation, but notice Daniel's posture. Let's look at it. He gives this description of who I believe is, uh, is, is Christ, all right? And it says this in verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but great trembling fell on them, and they fled to hide themselves. So these other men that were with Daniel, we don't know who they are or what, what's going on. They just could sense there was something going on. All right, And so they ran away. They fled. They couldn't see what Daniel saw, but they could feel there was something going on, and they were fearful. Now let's look at this. Verse 8. So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Do you know what happens to Daniel? He sees Jesus, this glorious appearance of Jesus in all of his splendor. He is so awed that he falls on his face. And as he's there, he hears the voice of Jesus. And what happens? He passes out. He cannot retain his strength, the text tells us. He's so overwhelmed with this view of who God is, God in flesh, Jesus appearing before him. He's so overwhelmed with his holiness and his purity and his splendor that he passes out. Now we see that people are alarmed when they have encounters with angels. Daniel has encounters with angels, but he never describes it like this. There's something different. Let's keep going. Verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. 
Somebody touched Daniel. This is the first out of three touches, okay? Daniel's going to tell us that he's touched three different times. This is the first. Someone touches him. I do not believe this is the, 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 the incarnate Jesus Christ. I believe this is the angel because now this is going to start a conversation that Daniel's going to record that he's going to have with this, with this angel. The angel touches him and set me trembling on my hands and knees. It helped wake Daniel up. Daniel passes out. He sees and hears this glorious uh, person of God. We know him to be Jesus. And as he is laying there dead, an angel stirs him up and he gets on his hands and knees and he is trembling. He is fearful. And so this angel uh, says this, verse 11, and he said to me, Daniel, man greatly loved. I love that phrase. He said it back in chapter 9 when the angel appeared to Daniel there. And he's going to say it again to him later. And if I just pause for a second, do you know today, if you're a child of God, that you are greatly loved? I hope you know that. It doesn't mean that you're some superstar like Daniel or David or Abraham or Moses. If you're a child of God... I love what John writes, behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Sorry, that's King James. That's back in my Iwana years that I learned, but hopefully you get the gist, the overwhelming fact that we would experience the love of God and be called his children. Here's Daniel being ministered, and you know that's the angel's main priority, right? They're to do the ministry as God tells them and shares with them. They're ministering beings. They're ministering to Daniel. Oh, Daniel, man, greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now, I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. So the angel says, listen, you can get up. Come on, get up. I've been sent to you to answer something. And so Daniel says that he stood up and he's still trembling, still full of fear. And he says this, verse 12. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and have humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. There's a several different things we're going to look at here. But first and foremost, as we look at this and we see this, number one, from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. It, it almost points back to, once again, reassuring those who are followers of the Lord that when we speak to God, he hears us because we saw that in chapter 9. The angel already told Daniel, hey, when you first started speaking, you were heard. And he's reassuring Daniel here, listen, I know it's been a while because remember, it's been 21 days. 21 days of fasting, at least some kind of fast, of not bathing, not cleaning himself. And he's out at the Tigris on the riverbed. And as he's there on the side of the riverbed, this glory of God shines on him. He is so overwhelmed. He falls 
on his face, passes out. The angel says, listen, you don't have to be afraid. Stand up. Hey, I want you to know God heard your first words. When you were first humbling yourself before him and you've cried out to him, he heard you. What reassurance that God would hear those who call out to him. What we see here is it begs a question, right? It should beg a question for us. It says, so Daniel, from the first day that you said word, oh, God heard you. Well, why did it take 21 days to now appear to me? Why does it take three weeks for you to come and talk to me and give me an answer? I'm glad you asked that question. Here it is. Verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I was left there with the kings of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. So this angel that has helped Daniel to arise from his brokenness, he says to him, listen, I would have been here earlier, but I was hindered. Hindered? How can an angel be hindered? I thought they were like pretty powerful. They are. But the title of our service today, our sermon today, is called Heavenly Battles. Because there's something that as we walk through life, we often are oblivious to. And Daniel, here in this chapter, helps us to see there is a whole lot going on in our world, more than what we would ever even dream of seeing. What this angel tells Daniel is, listen, there is a prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, I do not believe this is a king prince. All right. I don't think this is a, a earthly man. I believe this is a demonic leader over the realm and the kingdom of Persia. If you start to study and you do some research about how Satan has, has um, authorized and how he has worked in his kingdom, the demonic kingdom, he often you will see throughout scripture that he sets up leaders and rulers in territories. Okay. And so we see that not only here, but we're going to see it in a couple verses to come. The prince of the kingdom of Persia is this individual demon that I believe was a ruler and leader of this territory. And this angel wrestles with this demon for 21 days. He's not just wrestling against him, but notice what the text tells us. It says, I withstood, he withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So you have a prince, and now you have kings, you have plural, meaning there's a hierarchy here, meaning there's multiple demons that are, in fact, fighting this angel. So 
you have the prince of Persia, and you have the kings of Persia. These demonic forces are fighting against this angel to prohibit him from coming to Daniel to give him the message of the word of the answer to his prayers. But he succeeds in finally coming, and he tells Daniel that. Why? Because who helps him? Michael shows up. Michael, the archangel, we would call him. All right? Michael is coming along. He's one of the chief princes, and he comes to help this angel. He has now come, and he has come for why. We see it in verse 14. He says, Daniel, I want, you, I want to help make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. It goes back to why Daniel is mourning, why he's crying out to God, because Daniel is looking for clarity of what's going to happen to the Jewish people. Remember, the church is not involved in the book of Daniel. We're not mentioned. It's not about the church. So we have to be careful we don't read into that. He's talking about the nation of Israel, and the angel here says, listen, I'm coming to tell you, and I'm here today to tell you what is to come of your nation, of your people. I'm going to give you the answer to your questions. And he says, listen, the vision that I'm going to give you has not yet happened. It's for days to come. So this isn't something that was recorded that after things took place. Remember the conflict that we already talked about. There's a great conflict. The words are true. What is coming, I'm going to tell you all about. You see, chapter 10 is a long introduction to chapter 11 and chapter 12. And so if you don't read chapter 10, you're going to miss out on chapter 11 and chapter 12 of understanding it. Chapter 10 is this big, long introduction helping us to get to the vision of chapter 11 and chapter 12. That's why next week I'm not going to preach on all of chapter 11. It would, it would be too much of a disservice to the text. And so we see here, this angel is here, verse 15. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and I was mute. Paul, David or Daniel is speechless. Daniel hears what the angel is telling him. And he's absolutely speechless. Why? Because Daniel has now been given a glimpse through a window. It's been pulled back a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes. What's going on behind the scenes? The fact that there are heavenly battles going on. And that has hindered Daniel getting his answer sooner. So he turned his face to the ground and he was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man... Touched my lips, the second touch, the healing, the ministering. We see angels continually ministering to God's people. We see the angels minister to Jesus after he was tempted in the wilderness. Do you believe that angels are real? I believe they're real. And I believe that demons are real. And I believe Satan is real. Satan is called the prince of the power, right? But Satan doesn't know all things. And even though he rebelled against God, and he has all these forces against God and what God desires, God's still in charge. 
and God's still in control. Daniel is overwhelmed by the fact that he gets to catch a little bit of a glimpse of what's behind the scenes and the fact that I believe he's going to get revealed to him what is to come. This message, he touched my lips and then I opened my mouth and I spoke and I said to him who stood before me, Oh my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. What I am seeing is so overwhelming, I can't bear it. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. It's almost like you could hear Daniel like barely getting these words out. How can I talk to you? How are you going to show me this glorious thing? Verse 18, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, oh, man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? It's almost a rhetorical question. He's already told him why he's come to him. To give him an answer to his questions. To tell him about the peoples. His people, the nation of Israel. God's chosen people. Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. This angel gives Daniel a, a key inside glimpse. It's almost like a recorder where he's like, listen, I wanted to come to you earlier. I was prohibited. Satan didn't allow me to do that. I was in a battle. And it wasn't until Michael showed up and he allowed me to be set free and I came to you and I'm going to answer your questions, but I need you to know I've got to go back because the battle continues on. And it's not just against this prince of Persia. Actually, there's another one coming, the prince of Greece. And do you know what? As we read that, we know exactly what's coming. We know what's coming because we know history and we know that Greece is going to come and defeat Persia and they're going to rule and Alexander's going to come swift like a leopard and he's going to defeat the Persians and the Medes. But here Daniel gets a glimpse of saying, listen, there's a battle in heaven going on. But I'm paused because God sent me here to give you understanding. Remember what Daniel wrote early in this chapter when he said I, he understood the word and he had understanding of the vision. So Daniel understood as he looks back, he understood it all. I think that early part of the chapter 10 is a, a, a communication of what is coming in 11 and 12. As he is communicated with by this angel, this vision, he understood it. We'll look at those chapters in the weeks to come.
When we look at this, though, how do we digest this? And while Satan may be called prince of the power of the air, and he is very real, he is not omnipresent. Ezra 28 and Isaiah 17, I believe, describe Satan's fall. He was proudful and arrogant and boastful, and he wanted his kingdom. When he left and was kicked out of heaven, he took many with him. Revelation tells us that a third of the stars went with him. Meaning there were a third of the angels that went with Satan. In Revelation chapter 9, some would say that there are over two, at least 200 million demonic spirits. When we think about this role of living life and even looking and studying the word, oftentimes we will neglect this fact that there is more to this world than what we see. And no, I'm not talking about aliens. Do I believe there's aliens? No. I believe that God created such a big universe and a big world because he wanted to display how big he was. He's that big. There's a war taking place. And we see here a glimpse of a war that took place for three weeks in this unseen realm. We see in 2 Kings chapter 6, when the armies of Israel are surrounded by the enemies, Elijah is sitting back calm and collect. And his leaders say, we're going to die. What is wrong with you? And God pulls back the curtains and gives them a glimpse. And what do they see? This other realm that is reality. It's not fake. It's not just movies. It's just not like uh, storybooks that we create. This realm is real. And the angelic hosts of armies of God were there to protect the nation of Israel. And that is exactly what they did. I love what John says, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, but it's like John understood this from his time with God. In 1 John 4, 4, John says this, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He's not talking about other men, other women. He's talking about the prince of the power of the air. Notice that title, the prince, just as the prince of other demonic forces that this angel has given title to as well. So this angel has been tag teamed, the prince and the kings of Persia, which Persia would be the ruling empire. And I believe, again, this shows us the territorial forces of Persia and then would be Greece. I believe that we can see this even today. I believe that after studying and reading more, I believe that demons are territorial. They may not be bound to that, but I believe that's the way the, their hierarchy is. I believe that's the way Satan has set it up. Remember, Satan isn't dumb either. He may not know all, 
He is not the most powerful. He does have power. And he is wise. Satan can also read and understand what is to come. He's heard the word. He knows the truth. He knows what's coming. And so he wants to do everything that he can just as he tried to stop Jesus from being our Savior and Messiah. So he desires to stop things from progressing to where there will be one kingdom with one king, Jesus Christ. We see that even in our nation today. When we think about how Satan has attacked even from the beginning of this book that we have. The attack of biology and morality. We are made in the image of God. Every one of us. And yet what does Satan and his workers desire to do? To teach a new word. To twist the word. To change the word. It's rebellion against God. I believe there's a prince over the U.S. I believe there's a prince over Ohio. I believe there are prince over Akron and Bath and in all our other territories. You say, how do you know that? Listen, read the text. Don't be oblivious. Maybe I'm wrong, but I can't help but to think that there are a lot of evil spirits out there. And you know why? Because of what we're seeing. Look and look and see how Satan is attacking. Look how he has attacked our nation. The promises that were given to Israel aren't the promises given to the United States. But we have been a nation that was founded under the principles and the guidelines of God's word. All of our leaders? No. Come on now. Many of them were followers of Jesus. And they founded this nation with the understanding and the hopes of giving that same freedom to worship the Lord Jesus in this country. Satan knows what's coming. So we see all around us a continual ramping up of things. There's a battle that is taking place. It takes place in our state houses. It's taking place in Washington. And I'm not talking about people. I believe that these are spiritual battles that are taking place. So when we look at this chapter, chapter 10, how does it apply for us today? I have three things that I would ask you to consider this morning. The one, the first is this, to get a fresh vision of Jesus. I have been humbled, and it breaks me to think that I don't view and I don't see Jesus like Daniel saw Jesus. Jesus is my friend. He is my savior. But he is holy and he is perfect. And he is my savior. And yet we've lost the awe. The significance of the greatness of who our God is. Isaiah in the midst of saying woe to Israel. Woe to you. 
all of a sudden gets a glimpse of God. And he says, oh, of me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I believe that we need a fresh and holy vision of Jesus. Yes, he is my savior. Yes, he is my Lord. Yes, he is my friend. Yes, he died on the cross for my sin. But do you read in the book of Revelation who this Jesus is? He is the king of the world and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's my savior and that's my God. And I have taken him too casual. At times it causes me to be too casual in my living. And as Paul writes in Romans, it allows me to think, shall I continue to sin that grace may abound? We would say, surely not. But yet, why do we do it? I believe it's because we've lost sight of who Jesus really is. So my encouragement to you is, see who Jesus is. I don't think we have to be scared of him, that he's going to zap us with lightning. There's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But man, we need to see him as holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The second is this, a call for us to fast and pray. I won't ask you to raise your hand when the last time you fasted was, but I encourage you, would you join me? Here's my challenge, that, that we would go through the month of October and that we would take each Monday to fast from something. I don't know if Daniel gave up everything. Some scholars are led to believe that with him moving and, and, and going out to the Tigris, he had to have some kind of nourishment for 21 days. Food and water. We know he gave up the great good steak and meat and the great drink of wine and Diet Coke because they had that back then. And he gave up trying to make him, his appearance more comfortable. Would you fast with me in taking these next eight weeks through the month of October and to pray with me for the furtherance of God's kingdom? Here's the truth that we see in Daniel 10. The demons can't delay our prayers. It's not like there's this barrier between us and God that when we cry out, the demons shoot it down. The delay may be in our answer back to us. But the beauty is, is the first day when Daniel prays, he's heard. I believe that we could see some great things, not for our glory and not for our puffing up. But what would it look like for the next eight weeks if you would join me in fasting and praying for the kingdom of God? I encourage you. 
however God leads you in that, in that time of prayer, would you join me? Would you commit to that? The next eight weeks, put it on your calendar, put it on your refrigerator, put it on your mirror in your bathroom. I would like for you to shower and bathe. If you choose not to, we'll love you anyway. All right. Would you spend some time being purposeful, knowing that there is a battle that is taking place and God desires for us to intercede? Which then leads to the third point. I want to read for you a short passage, and I know I'm long, and I'm Zach's really happy right now. He's playing with all of your kids. Ephesians chapter 6. It's up on the, up on the screen for you. Paul writes this, finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's what we wrestle against. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Or are you just dealing with this minute, silly stuff here, the physical? This is our battle, Paul says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, with which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, the end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And he says, for I am the ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I speak. The third is this, to put on the whole armor of God. To be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And to stand firm. Paul says this in Romans chapter 13 verse 14. He says to put on Jesus Christ. When Paul gives us this whole list, each thing is unique. But it also refers back to one thing. And that one thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The armor that we wear every day always goes back to the saving grace of Jesus Christ found in the gospel. So we put that on. We need the fellowship with God more than we need answers to our prayers. So while your prayers may be hindered, oftentimes it's the fellowship with God that he desires. I love what Mark Hitchcock said, we fight from victory, not for victory. What we're going to see is God wins. 
we'll get to see the end. Until then, there's a battle going on. And it's not just here in this flesh. It's happening all around us. And that's not to weird us out and to say, oh, the boogeyman. That's to be real. There's a fight happening. There's a fight for your life that's taking place and waging war. Don't just sit back. Don't just let the chips fall. Put on the armor. Remind yourself of the gospel message. I'd encourage you for the next week, eight weeks, to fast from something on Mondays. Join us together and let's pray for God's kingdom to continue to prevail. And as we do it, may he show us a wonderful glimpse of his son, Jesus. Because he's worthy of our lives, isn't he? Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the way you care for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. It's true because it came from you. It's God-breathed. And so we can take it and study it and now live it because you are truly God and we love you and we want to follow you and we want to obey you. Help us to place you as the priority of our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, Lord, and you will take care of everything else. Help us to do that this day and this week ahead. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.